Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. Before we get started, I want to read you a quick update. This is from Pastor Bo in Haiti. It was posted this morning. And unlike my notes, which are in a size 14 font, this is not. Although the state of our nation cries, and we all of Lubin cry too, as we are affected in numerous ways, and most of you know that the country is in crisis, we are so grateful that not a single week has been missed of this school year so far. This week, all of our kids sat and finished their exams. Our beautiful teachers have remained employed and worked with great joy. This is God's work amidst the country's major economic crisis, where the majority of schools across the entire nation have not had this privilege, closing for almost three months. This testifies that a little hopeless village in the middle of nowhere has been chosen as a city on a hill and bearer of hope for the kingdom of God. Merry Christmas to all our friends and family across the world. Rejoice with us this Christmas season in the Lord for his ways and his work. And I just also heard this morning that um, if this crisis continues much longer, the economic impact will surpass what the earthquake did. And so it's definitely an area of prayer, but in the midst of it, as you can hear from Pastor Bo, there's hope. I'm not sure he's ever defeated, actually. Well, when I first was thinking about this, I talked to Pastor Carroll, and, and he first thing he said was, if you wear a red suit, I'm yanking you off the stage. <laughs> so I said, okay. And then I thought, what about swaddling clothes? <laughs> but I didn't ask because I started thinking better of that myself. And uh, So we'll start a little bit traditional this morning, and then, as you know, I, I got to lose my way tradition, so we'll skate around some things for fun. So what is the true meaning of Christmas? The true meaning of Christmas is love. John three sixteen and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. The true meaning of Christmas is the celebration of this incredible act of love. And now I'm going to read the Christmas story because it's almost Christmas. Luke 2, 1 through 20. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, for her to... That's a bad translation. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. And now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. 
and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which had been told by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. So God, we ask as we continue this morning that by your Holy Spirit you would lead us, that you would give us a revelation of the greatness of that love and the greatness of this story, and you would show us a little bit of how it applies to us today. And we thank you and bless you, Lord. Amen. I'm always conflicted at this time of year, because while we celebrate and have a, uh, lots of fun parties and we do things and family comes together, there's a lot of people who are suffering. And most of the world is not enjoying this season like we enjoy it. And so I'm always torn because we have this really nice story of a, a, a baby and what God did for all of men. <clears throat> but yet in the midst of it, we have people who go home too soon. And we have, you know, like even today, uh, Joe going home. And he's happy. But like Pastor Carol said, we're sad for a little while. And the, you know, families that are separated, there's not enough money, uh, the pain and suffering of so many, if you get outside of our borders, uh, most of the world is, is in a mess. And so how do you balance Christmas and celebration of a great gift with the reality of where most of the world is? And so what, what I want to look at is some things that actually happened when he came that we don't talk a whole lot about. Uh, the first one is in John 12, verse 46. It said, I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me shall not abide in darkness. And so often we think of Christmas as this charming story that leaves you happy and wishing you had been there at the beginning, but we kind of make it an event. We, we, we celebrate the event, but we don't realize the ramifications of what it caused after that <clears throat> and everything that happened. Because if you go down in Matthew chapter 2, verse 18, it says, and this was taken from Jeremiah, a voice is heard in, in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And I found this picture. It's called uh, The Massacre of the Innocents. And it is depicting when Herod, in his anger, when after all the, the children, or all the little boys, to find out where Jesus was. And so you, you balance this peace and goodwill towards men with total chaos and evil right behind it. And in the picture, the way he painted it, she's barefoot, which means she can't really go anywhere. She's stuck. She's clutching her son and trying to muffle the cries because she knows she won't have him much longer. And the reality is, 
that what he, what he showed is what happened after Jesus was born. And what really amazed me is if you look at the whole narrative and the story, you're wondering, how could the enemy miss him? Everybody else knew where he was. I mean, I know God hit him and all those things. But you can see what happens when, when God does something, evil rises. And it immediately begins to, to act in a way to try to, to thwart the things that God wants to do. And in this, this picture, she can't run. And, uh, and then if you draw into her eyes, she's almost looking at us. Like, how could you allow this to happen? And uh, it's a very haunting picture. It's not a, a very... It's not an exciting one. He did a great job of not showing the carnage, which a lot of them do. But the, the point is that when Jesus came, as nice as he was and as beautiful as he is and as much as he is God, he exposed evil. He didn't cause it. But his being here exposed it and made it to where it has to be dealt with and at the birth of Jesus, the heavenly hosts of angels had promised peace on earth and goodwill to men. And they said it to the, to the shepherds. And then immediately after that, we have this scene. There was a guy named Mike, excuse me, Mike Frost who wrote a post in 2017. He says, this Christmas, remember that the followers of the, of the Christ are called not to side with empire, but to sit with the terrified, to comfort those who mourn, to join the meek and merciful and pure in heart and to hunger and thirst for the righteousness only Jesus can bring. Because when he comes, and, he, and he's in all of us, when he comes, evil is exposed. And you, you see it all through this city, all through this state, all through this country, everywhere you go. When you're there, evil rises. Because it has to. He forces a choice. He didn't cause it. He forces you to choose just by his presence. His presence brings judgment. So when he walks in, whatever's in you comes out. And a lot of us, I'm sorry to say myself too, allow the enemy to go after the vulnerable. He's been doing it since the beginning of time. He did it with Moses, trying to wipe out a whole generation. He's doing it. He did it again with Jesus. He's doing it now with abortion and genocide and all these other issues that we deal with as societies. And he always goes after the vulnerable. He's afraid of the strong. He has to tempt Jesus. He can't defeat him. He has to tempt you. He can't defeat you. And when you allow him to defeat you, what you've done is side with evil. In 2004, in the city of Beslan, in southern Russia, in the Caucasus, um, 30 Chechen rebels went in declaring Islam and uh, took 1,100 children and teachers. And before the Russians could actually get in there to, to save them, I think 385 died in the whole mess. And I, uh, for me, and, and it must be for you too, when you read 
the biblical accounts of some of the, the issues, and then you look at the newspaper today, nothing's changed. It's the same. This world's no worse than it's ever been. It's always been bad. It's manifesting more. But the evil intent of the heart has always been there. And because Jesus is doing more and more, evil is also abounding. I think Scripture says when evil abounds, grace will that much more abound. And you know that when we talk about grace, we're talking about the power not just to uh, get saved, and, but to overcome and to obey God in whatever he's calling you to do. And it culminates in, the, in uh, the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, which is he's going to crush the enemy's head. And he already has. We just haven't realized it fully yet. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. And then in Matthew 10.34, Jesus says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring priests, but a sword. And the sword is confronting evil. When he says that I didn't come to bring peace on earth, what he means is I'm not making peace with this mess. I'm bringing a sword that's going to institute a new kingdom. Then you'll have peace. But in the midst of it, through the Holy Spirit, we have peace now. And that's how you, having received an unshakable kingdom, can remain unshaken when everyone is shaking. Because that's what we're doing now. We have a kingdom and a king that are unshakable, that not only expose evil but confront it and empower you to defeat it. There's no reason these things that are going on in our city should go unchallenged. Human trafficking is just abhorrent. We should all be active in social things. Not for the sake of social justice, for the sake of the king and the kingdom and what he died for. And uh, I have a picture of two of my friends from, that's uh, Anar and Shaheen. They live in Azerbaijan. Uh, he sent me this this morning. They were on their way back from Iran. And they live in Baku, Azerbaijan. They go six plus times a year into Iran to do um, evangelism. They're working with some pastors and some Muslim converts. And that's pretty much the way their face is all the time. They're just happy. They love the Lord. And their Christmas is staying hidden and being quiet. And we've closed this off from the uh, feed so that nobody will see them. But... Uh, my, the privilege I have is getting to hang around with guys like this who look at the kingdom as right now. They read the story and the narrative and they put it into context of what does that mean for me today. And it really helps me stay focused. What does it mean for me today? So he forces a choice. He's loving, he's kind, he's good, always. But he doesn't allow... For evil to go unchecked. And if you don't endure, you will never partake of everything that he made available to you. <clears throat> and this, the exposure of evil forces makes you choose. And then he always suffers with us in our troubles. It's not like he's detached. He's gone through more than you will ever go through. And he did it the same way we're going to do it. 
by the power of God working through us to do what we have to do. And now he's waiting until he gets told by the Father to come back and wrap this thing up, which won't be too long. Okay, the second thing he did was he gave us an example of living by every word that God speaks. And I was, I was thinking of this. I, I enjoy humor. I'm gonna, don't worry, I'm going to lighten up. I wanted to do the heavy stuff first so that we could finish with a good song. And, um, but I was, had, was thinking, at the beginning of time, well, not the beginning of time, it would have been eternity, whenever Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit, were, the Father, were talking about this plan, I always wondered if, if the Father said, I need you to go down there. And he's like, oh, okay. Then I was wondering is if they already knew each other's thoughts. So they just like look at each other and go. I knew you were going to say that. But he learned, he learned to depend on his father's voice in the womb. It's not something he grew into. He came knowing it. What he came with was he's going to have to trust the Father the same way we do. And I wondered what that felt like. I mean, we know at the cross that he was felt forsaken, at least for a short time. But can you imagine that if, if you were going to the cross and the only thing you had left was your father's promise that he would raise you. And if you haven't been walking with him the whole time, you'll never pass that one. So this life that we're in now is to learn how to hear his voice. I was telling Pastor Carroll, you know, he's been preaching on hearing, hearing God's voice, and I'm going to brag for a second. Yesterday I was driving, and I was listening to the beginning of the Tampa Bay game, because that's what I do. Because you, you know you can't listen to rock music. It's bad. And, uh, unless it's classic, and then it's okay. But they were talking about the quarterback for Tampa Bay having thrown uh, interceptions on the first drive several times this year. And I clearly heard, and I'm going to say it's the Lord because it was actually right, he's going to throw a pick six on the first pass. And I'm like, that's a weird thought. And about 15 seconds later, you hear the announcers go, oh my goodness, he just threw a pick six. Then I said, well, if you had told me that 15 minutes earlier, I could have made a bet. <laughs> but he didn't go for it. But when he came, Philippians 2, 6 and 7, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. So you have com his complete deity, and he says, I'll do it, and I will not use any of that. I will depend on your voice so that I can show them that it can be done. And I can't imagine what that cost him for even those 33 years. He did it so that we would learn that we can hear his voice. Now, I don't, please don't hear me say that you should ask for sports scores and try to bet on them because we have counseling for that. But what I'm saying is he's speaking a lot more than we realize, and Carol had been preaching on that. And the, the, 
the whole premise for me is if he's speaking, what he has to say is much more important than what I have to say. Because he sees things in those things that I haven't even considered. He even says that in Jeremiah 33, 3, you draw close to me and I'll tell you things you didn't even know to ask me. So dependence for him began at birth. Uh, Matthew 1, 23 is referencing the fulfillment of the prophecy in Jeremiah. It says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And then in John 6, 38, Jesus says, I'm here to do the Father's will. He completely gave up his agenda. And then in Matthew 4, 4, when he's being tempted, he says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It doesn't mean we don't eat bread. It means we put it in the right perspective. We don't eat until he says it's time to eat. Okay, so don't, you know, we, we read these verses and we think, oh, well, you know, don't, don't do anything except just whatever God says, do that. You don't even need to eat. Well, that's not true. If you don't eat, you're going to die. Okay, keep it in perspective. But the, the number one priority is what has he said and how do I obey? Because it's not a question of me obeying as an external son. It's a question of me obeying as a, as a son of a loving father. So if I don't know what he says, I really don't know what to do. And I have, and I'm sure you have too, cleaned up a lot of messes when you did stuff when you weren't sure what to do and found out exactly what you shouldn't do. So it's obey first. A.W. Tozer in his book, The Pursuit of God, says this. The tragedy is that our eternal welfare depends upon our hearing, and we have trained our ears not to hear. And he goes on, the voice of God is a friendly voice. No one need fear to listen to it unless they ha he has already made up his mind to resist it. This is how we continue to sin without the fear of God. And sometimes we're not hearing, as Pastor Carroll preached, because we're not listening. Or we've trained ourselves. We make noise in our head so that we can't hear. Because then you have plausible deniability. Even though God knows the truth that you never wanted to hear. Because I, I hear everything I want to hear. And a lot of things I don't hear, I really didn't want to. And I remember when I first got into ministry, I had a mentor who would just out of the blue ask me, What's God saying to you? And I would stutter um, uh, and try to think, you know, you, your mouth is kind of slowing everything down while your brain's racing at 150 miles an hour because you've got to come up with something to say. You know, you're in ministry, by the way. What's God telling you? The fate of the world's in your hands. And I would come up with something. And you know why it bothered me? Because I didn't know what he was saying. And I got called out again and again and again until I started figuring out, you know what? I'm going to start figuring out what he's saying. I'm getting tired of being embarrassed. So I try to do it here to some of the staff occasionally. Just to, you know, that's how we get retribution as we get older. Jesus was my example, which means I can live the same way he did. By every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And you know, if he knows everything, which we know he does, and I learn that voice in such a way, I will never be surprised or shocked. I'll be prepared. 
and I've hurt him many times, and I've disobeyed a few. I can remember once in Hungary, and I think I've told this before, but it doesn't take long. I uh, got ready to go to bed, and clearly heard the Lord say, lock the door between the basement and the first floor. And so I go over to the door, and somebody took the key out of the door, and I'm like, ah, I'll look for it tomorrow. So I got up, we get up in the morning, and everything was gone. All the electronics, my briefcase, all our papers, all of that stuff. And they had come up between the first floor and the basement. And so I was kind of conflicted because I was really frustrated that we'd been robbed. But then I was like, but I heard. Didn't obey yet, but I heard. So, and if we think it was, well, I'm not going to say because we're on. There's a certain group that when they steal from you, they tend to leave something behind, like a little token. So they actually got outside, opened my briefcase, took out all the important documents of our passports and visas, and stacked them up really nice and neat out of the weather. So I was like, gee, thanks. Wait. <laughs> and because when God's voice is working clearly in you, you have no need of external government. I don't need a policeman around to watch me live when the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. I will naturally do what's right if I'm obeying. So the more I learn to hear him and respond to his voice, the more I don't need external government. I know when to go to bed. I know when to get up. I know what's expected. I just do it. And so if you feel the need for external government, you need to check your heart. What's not working in here? Because when God's here, you don't need external government. The only reason we have it is every time we relax external government, evil abounds. So we have to have it. Uh, but you don't need it. You know, I mean, I, I don't want to show my hands, but every time you see a policeman, how many of you hit the brake? Well, all three of you should be ashamed of yourself. So to expose evil and force a choice is one thing. To show us how to live by every word of the Father is another. And thirdly, it's to bring redemption to everything. His birth brought redemption for everything and everybody. Colossians 1.20 And by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So when the cross was not just salvation for people. It was the rightful ownership of everything he had created went back to him. Adam had given it away. Jesus said, I'm getting it back. And he did it. And so everything that you see is going to be redeemed. Trees, that's why taking care of the, the, the earth is important. That's why picking up trash is important because it's all part of the bigger kingdom. And wherever that worldview isn't complete, like I go to places, um, and I'm sure you've seen them too, where the church seems like it's thriving and growing, but outside the church looks like a, a dump, plastic and trash, and, and it's never thought of as part of the kingdom because the message has been get saved and you get to go to heaven. Don't worry about cleaning up the lot. But that's not really what happens. He came to restore everything. And to redeem everything. 
And one day we're going to come back and rule and reign with him here. We're not going to heaven unless you need a tune-up. Then you come back. Okay, We're going to be with him. And he's redeemed everything and he's already done that. And until he comes back, we have a legal right to possess. And he's given that to us through Calvary. And through your response to his life and death and resurrection. The day you were born again, you changed kingdoms and kings. And you now have the ability and the power to act just like Jesus did. This is a quote from uh, Ivan Illich, who was an Austrian uh, philosopher and also a Catholic priest. And he says, neither revolution nor reformation can ultimately change a society. Rather, you must tell a new, profound, powerful tale, one so persuasive that it sweeps away the old myths and becomes the preferred story, one so inclusive that it gathers all the bits of our past and our present into a coherent whole, one that even shines some light into our future so that we can take the next step. If you want to change a society, then you have to tell an alternative story. And Jesus is that alternative story for us. Our king speaks hope into the future. And a true celebration of Christmas is a celebration of everything it represents, which is the kingdom being restored. And it won't end until all is back as it should be. When he comes back, everything will be turned back the way it's supposed to be. And the temptation for us, and we probably do this, when, especially when we listen to political rhetoric, and I do mean rhetoric, uh, Unless, of course, you're a libertarian, then no, I'm teasing. The temptation is to tell people to be quiet because you're causing problems. Okay? Telling the truth does not cause problems. When somebody provokes, what provokes evil is good. Not speaking about it. Speaking about evil needs to happen if the Christmas story is true. We are supposed to be making a statement, not politically, but how? In service. In serving every area of society, whatever is needed. We hold a standard that is above this standard. It's his standard, and we do it as a servant in love, which means it's going to be rejected by some. You're going to be ridiculed by some. But you're also going to see what God does in power when your heart is positioned properly to affect change. And I was talking with someone just last week, and I can't remember who it was, so if you're in the room, it's not personal. Uh, but they said something like, we're supposed, to, we're supposed to rule and govern society. And I don't see it. We're supposed to serve and influence society. Someone else can govern. There's nothing more powerful to an evil person than to be served by someone in love. Because it's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance, not force. It's suffering for him so that they actually get to at least make a choice based on what he did. Because you've already, most all of you have already experienced it. You're in the kingdom. Okay, everybody out there is not. 
And there's a lot of them that don't even know what it looks like. They've never even heard of it. And as soon as you use kingdom language in a forceful, governing, overbearing way, you lose their ears. And you actually church harden them. Because Christmas was not that way. The baby came as a meek child, born in very poor circumstances, and actually had to flee to Egypt soon after he was born. He didn't escape either. He suffered almost immediately, and he continued to throughout his whole life. Had great victories, great sorrow. That's life in the kingdom. That's how you know you're alive. Pain isn't always bad. So don't blame good when evil shows its head. And don't tell people to be quiet because other people get upset. Okay? If you get upset, you need to find out why you're upset. Jesus came to actually sweep away all the evil on the earth. And until he comes back, we're going to be dealing with it. He said we would. But he's going to empower you to do it. He's going to empower me to do that. Sometimes it's actually realized, like Herod... Sometimes it's just threatened, but either way, it gets your attention. And without the voice of God working in your life and understanding that but the baby came to bring peace, but not to allow evil to stand, and that that peace only comes when evil is gone, then you won't think things are out of whack when things aren't peaceful. He didn't cause anything. He reveals everything. We always have to understand that he exposed everything to let the enemy know his time was short. And I always get great comfort in that. It's Jesus saying, okay, I'm going to show you exactly who I am now. And you don't have much time left. So it's the exposure of evil, the dependence on the Father, the restoration of all things. That's why he came. So that none of us or none of them would ever have to die in our sins and be lost. He came for everybody. Anyone who dies in their sins clearly makes that choice. Just make sure that we're not the reason they choose that. And Christmas is the beginning of that new story that Illich spoke about. The compelling story that changes the whole society. So we, we start with a little baby who innocently dropped into the world and we will finish with the return of a triumphant king. And while he tarries, pray without ceasing, protect the vulnerable, care for the orphans and widows, love the immigrant, the refugee, and your enemies, and stand against all tyranny so that you can enjoy this season. And may you be blessed in every way. But don't make Christmas an event. It was the beginning of a story, a story of a king and his kingdom. Amen.